Good morning. Sure glad that you're here. Got um, one of my favorite people in the world here that is going to greet you. This is Ruben Zusman. Many of you know him. He's our guide when we go to Israel, and he is a very close and wow. Hey. <laughs> it's, yeah, you're yeah, good. It is a, okay, with a greeting like that, it's definitely worth making the appearance here. <laughs> Thank you. Greetings. You know, the, uh, how you, is everybody doing this morning? You know, there are parts of the nations where if I was to ask you the same question, you'd hear something like, how y'all doing this morning? <laughs> you know the biggest differences between that part of the nation and this part of the nation? Oh, yes. <laughs> it is the weather. You know, I'm looking at this multitude of people here. Can't we find even one person here that could have made arrangements to clear all the red tape that was necessary so that it would allow Galit and I to bring you some sunshine from Israel? We honestly wanted to do that. But it wasn't possible. But hey, all laughs aside, it's awesome to be here. And we uh, are very grateful for this warm reception. We always say it could be cold outside, but as long as people have got a warm heart, that is what counts. All right. Um, I want to share with you a few things about where it is that I come from. Um, in numbers, Israel is a country that fits into the United States. Does anybody remember? Let's take inventory here. We got Ruvianites and Ammonites, graduates of classes 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. All right. So you should know, because it was said there a number of times. How many times does Israel fit into the United States? <laughs> More than once. Hey. My inevitable conclusion is that you guys have to come back for a second course because <laughs> you flunked the test 468 times. Our population is about one over 40 of your population. Yet there are two figures that you're leading over us in addition and one fact that we clearly have the advantage of you. Let's start with the figures that uh, the U.S. is still ahead of us. But I think given the difference in size and the difference in the population, we're not trailing far behind. The first fact that I want to share with you is the fact about successful startups that actually materialize into viable businesses, products, and services. Israel is ranked number three in the world right now per capita, which is a pretty good place. Yeah. Um, the other fact is the presence of the foreign press. When you have the presence of the foreign press in your country, it obviously indicates that your country is interesting, it's got things that uh, attract attention and want to be uh, given the best coverage. So the US is number one in the world. In Washington, DC, that's the strongest presence of the, uh, the largest presence of the um, foreign press. Um, then comes the EU capital, which is Brussels, the headquarters of Brussels in Belgium. Israel is number three. So I think that says something uh, right there. Now, if it wasn't for the restrictions on the length of time, I kind of negotiated with Pastor John here. We were going back and forward. We, I asked for an hour. He said a minute. <laughs> and, and then eventually we compromised on five minutes. So I'm kind of on a schedule here. Um, the fact that I think is mind-boggling that uh, Israel has an advantage or something very different. I don't call it an advantage, but the fact of the matter is that the Bible did not happen in the United States. <laughs> it happened in a small part of the Middle East known as Israel. 
And going back to what we started off with, the weather, it is nicer there, at least <laughs> at, the t at the time present. Um, I know that due to the weather and due to other commitments, a lot of people couldn't make it last night to the uh, orientation meeting, the interest meeting of 2020's Israel trip. So I'll be around, and if anybody wants to come over and talk about the prospect of uh, coming over, I can assure you you're in for a time of a experience of a lifetime. So thank you for the warm greetings, and God bless you all. Thank you. Uh, thank you for greeting him that way. He, uh, he and his wife, Galit, joined Chris and uh, myself and our family for Thanksgiving. It was their very first time to experience the Thanksgiving, and we had a great time. He came in, though, on Tuesday. So left Tel Aviv in the morning uh, on British, went to London, and in London they said, we can't get you into Denver. So they rerouted him to Phoenix, got into Phoenix that evening, and by that time, the airport in Denver had opened up. So a delay of seven or eight hours uh, overall. But instead of having to spend the night on the floor in the airport, somewhere in Phoenix or in London, he made it in. And we're grateful to have him here. They leave this afternoon, this evening. And so uh, if you know them, and there's, you know, at, at this point, over, uh, over 15 trips and 1,000 or so people that we've taken. If you know them and you'd like a chance to say hi to them, They'll position themselves out in the foyer in between services for a little while. And if you have the opportunity or would like to, stop by and say hi to them. Go ahead and grab your notes. And uh, you'll need a pen or a pencil for the fill in the blanks. The easiest way this morning would be to uh, have downloaded our app. Because on our app, we have the notes. And then you can just fill in the blanks right there on your device using your phone or a tablet. Uh, if you learn best by just listening, that is fine too. Whichever way works for you. We're good with it, and we just want to provide opportunities for you to be able to um, get the most that you can from the message. While you're doing that, I've got one other thing to bring to your attention and, um, and, and just ask you to consider, pray, see where you're at with this. Um, whenever we come into this time of the year, you've probably over the years read that you know between Thanksgiving and Christmas, believe it or not, it's not always just about joy for people. It can be one of the more difficult times that people experience. So, for instance, our, our counseling load goes up tremendously this time of year. And whether it's because people suddenly have to face things that are unresolved in family issues or uh, the stress of finances that come uh, from things this time of year, whatever it is, we find that we do a lot more ministry this time of year, and um, it can really be taxing. And on top of that, then Pastor Jonathan and Rebecca, our missions pastors, want to do something special for the missionaries this year. So here's what I want to throw out to you. If you'd like to give a Christmas offering, something that goes above and beyond what your tithe is, don't divert that, but if you want to do something above and beyond, if you're in a position to do that and you just want to minister to families or our missionaries, um, here's, here's sort of uh, our behind-the-scenes stance. When it comes to ministry, and that would be uh, feeding someone, or sheltering someone, or clothing someone, we never say no. Thank you for that overwhelming, <laughs> powerful. When I say we, not me, we never say no. As a church, we don't say no. We may say no uh, to things that go beyond that, but when it comes to the basics, I think one of the reasons that the church exists is because we're to be Jesus in this world to people. 
And so to be able to say yes in those situations, I think is important. So whether or not you're in a position to help, we take part of what you give already and set it aside. But it goes above and beyond this time of year. And so I'll just tell you, we're $35,000 off of our stated budget because of the ministry that we're being asked to do right now. And with what Pastor Murley asked for this morning with the missionaries, it actually moves it to about thirty-eight dollars to $40,000. So we're going to help out one way or the other, but I thought I would just present it to you. If you would like to do something special uh, and you're in a position to do so for Christmas, you, online, just market Christmas offering. You can do it in the offering boxes that way. If you're not in that position um, and you just say, Pastor, maybe I need to talk to you about uh, some help, absolutely. We, we will minister to our church first. And that's, uh, that's, that's biblical also. But if you are in a position you'd like to help, um, we have a couple of weeks to be able to address that. And I just thought I would throw it out there to you this morning. Okay, enough about that. Let's jump into this brand new series that we start this weekend. It's our Christmas series, and we titled it My Favorite Story. And maybe a better way to say it would be My Favorite Christmas Story, because we're going to take the next uh, few weeks up until Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, we're going to tell the greatest story ever told, and that is about the story of Jesus, right? And so what Pastor Jake said a few minutes ago, pray about who you're going to invite to our Christmas Eve service. I, I want you to know this. For those who go here, you, you know this to be true. But if you've, if you've joined us within the last year and you weren't here for uh, our last Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, I designed specifically to accomplish two things. Uh, for those who are believers, it's, it's to strengthen you in your faith. But we also feel like what an opportunity to present the gospel to people who otherwise never uh, darken the door of a church. Uh, maybe two times a year at Easter and at Christmas, someone will extend an invitation and a person's heart might be open to go. So we feel like what a time to not only tell them about Jesus, but to ask people, do, do you want to know Jesus? And so we'll see at times several hundred people make a decision for Jesus at Christmas. So I want to say this to you. The reason that Jake said pray about it, we're very sincere in that. Pray about who you should invite because I promise you if you bring someone I will present the gospel to them and give them a chance to know Jesus. I promise. And so I just want to throw that out to you. That's, that's where we're headed with this. So we called it my favorite story. It's my, my favorite Christmas story. Um, a couple of the pastors will help me with this series as we go towards uh, Christmas Eve. And we're going to talk about um, how to make Christmas what, what it should be in your family, in your life, uh, your, your, um, your legacy going forward. If it's not what you want it to be, do you realize it doesn't have to stay that way? With God, all things are possible. And so maybe behind you is this history that you're not necessarily excited about. Uh, what I mentioned a moment ago is very true. When I said that this time of year becomes very stressful for people in different ways, I, I know when I look out here, just look, you you're all, you you're halfway dressed up this morning, right? Not, we live in Colorado, so nobody really gets that dressed up. But, but we, we dress up more than we do when we're sitting around watching a football game. And, and we, we comb our hair, and we put on makeup and cologne, and we, we get ourselves ready so that we're presentable. But here's the thing. When, when you're sitting, I'm looking out. Everybody looks good, almost, right? But, but you cannot know just by looking at somebody what's going on in their personal life and at home. And I know from my own life, at times when I was a boy, 
that everything on the surface can look so normal and you can have so much dysfunction in places in life. So that I know when I'm about to minister to this message right now and I tell you that you may not... You may not have had a history that you are like, hey, I'm really excited about this time of year, but, but here's the power of the gospel. I can't do anything about your past, but it can alter your future. Amen. It can totally alter the future. And that's our hope, and that's our joy, and that's what we move forward in. And that's God's promise to us, too. So that's where we're going to go with this. It's a little more personal than what we normally do. Instead of just taking a passage of Scripture, <clears throat> excuse me, and teaching from a passage of scripture. Um, we're going to, with this series, make it a little more personal and tell stories from our own lives with the idea that we're just trying to make this where it's open for people to be able to relate to. I had one of the best compliments I was ever given in my life last night. We took Reuben and Galit out, and Galit told me, she says, you have a way, it doesn't go to our church. She said, you have a way when you talk about the gospel that makes people relate to it. It makes people feel a part of it. And so what we're trying to thank you, yeah, thank you for that right there. Thank you for that. Was honestly one of the greatest compliments that I've ever been given in my life. And I cherish that. And Chris and I went home last night and I was on cloud nine uh, until I got an email and my bubble got popped. So, So that's the nature of this. So that if you listen to it and you're like, you know, he's not really taking a passage of scripture and, and, uh, and teaching on that. No, that is, I, I'll go right back to it. After. Can we just do something a little different in this, this series with Christmas? So for the five of you who agreed with me, thank you for, for that. <laughs> What's your favorite Christmas story? When you think back over your life, uh, would, you, would you define it in as an adult it's been better or as a child it was better? When you think about um, just your history and your story, is there anything when it comes to the holidays and Christmas in particular that stands out and you're, you're excited about it, you're pleased with it? When you look back, it's, it's with fondness in your heart. Or are you in a position where when you look forward over the next three weeks, you're very excited about what's going to happen? What's your favorite Christmas story? What's your tradition? I asked my son, Brent, son, what uh, special needs? What's your favorite uh, memories of Christmas in this order: Charlie Brown, the Grinch, and Scrooge, <laughs> the pastor's kid. <laughs> if I asked you to tell a story from your life, would it be a story that you could share? Would it be a story that you're proud of? Is it a story that embarrasses you and brings shame to you, or is it a story that you're like, "Hey, Christmas is everything"? What goes on with your children now? And if you're really blessed, your grandchildren. What goes on with your spouse? Is it a time of year that starting at Thanksgiving until we get to New Year's, you just are trying to navigate and survive? Or do you relish it and it means a lot to you? Now, I'm not talking about um, Christmas as a materialistic thing. I'm talking about the meaning, the joy, and what we as believers recognize in Christmas. That our God loved us so much that he gave up heaven to come to earth He took our place so that we could have his place. That is an oversimplification of the gospel, but it's the truth of the gospel. When you think about this time of year and how you spend and spent your life, what does it do inside of you? When I was a child, I sat down and wrote uh, 
over the past couple of weeks, thoughts from my childhood with Christmas, and it was mixed. The truth of the matter is, I had a mom who did everything that she could in the middle of, of difficult chaos at times to give her sons stability. And I have a great mom. I have a mom who, in the middle of the odds being stacked against us, my mom did everything she could to make Christmas wonderful for her sons. But I had a stepfather who did everything he could to make it miserable. He would begin to drink from Thanksgiving all the way through the New Year's. And you could imagine when you take a person who's miserable, fuel it with alcohol, right? What those times and days become like. Uh, His method of operation was that at the holidays, he would always leave. So we spent our holidays many times moving. It was a difficult time. My mom in the middle of that, trying to provide a stability and something to look forward to, I so, as an adult, look back, the things that I used to think, this is so unfair, now I look back and I think, what an awesome mom I had. To see how difficult that was, knowing as a parent how difficult it is to provide and to try to keep stability in a situation. And my mom, like a magician, could pull out of thin airs wonderful things to keep her sins and her family going forward. How I bless my mom. But when I was a kid, my formative years as a little kid, I was born in Louisiana and I grew up in New Orleans. And um, this is going to date me a little bit, but what we would do at Christmas was to go downtown on Canal Street in New Orleans, for those who know it, and we'd go to a department store. How many of you remember a department store? This dates you. If you're like, what is a department store? Doesn't matter. But it literally was the nicest store in New Orleans was a store called Maison Blanche. The French connection and Maison Blanche means White House. Now you've learned French. <laughs> so Maison Blanche was this, uh, this beautiful department store that, like New York City, would do the animatronics in the window. So we'd take the trolley. They have a trolley like in San Francisco. Take the trolley down, walk down Canal Street, go to Maison Blanche. You dress up, right? Because that's in that time in our place, you dressed up around Christmas. And we'd go and watch the animatronics. And they had this little snowman named Mr. Bingle. And I loved Mr. Bingle, man. It's funny how you can look back 50 years ago and remember things like they're happening in front. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, just like, it just brings you back. And it was special, and I look so forward to it. My mom would do the Advent calendar. Anybody have you ever done the Advent calendar? I hated the Advent calendar. <laughs> it was like as an adult, I get it, but as a kid, it's the most boring thing you can possibly do. It's supposed to build excitement going towards the day and teach you something. But there was no candy or toy that came with it. (laughs) Christmas Eve, we were Catholic. So Christmas Eve and Easter were two special days where you dressed up and you went to church. For Christmas, we'd go to midnight mass. I never remember finishing a midnight mass. (laughs) I remember going and laying on the hard pew and falling asleep and being woke up at around midnight when the service was over welcoming in Christmas Day. Our tradition at our house, uh, usually this is what divides people uh, in, in our culture, in our society. Uh, people are Christmas Eve present openers or Christmas Day present openers. So real quickly, how many of you open on Christmas Eve? Put your hands up. How many of you are Christmas Day? 
Okay, look, look, more Christmas days, wow. So when I was a kid, did you ever make the statement to your parents, when I become a parent, I will never do it that way. <laughs> you ever say that? I meant it. <laughs> so our tradition was we could open one present on Christmas Eve, and then we had to wait till Christmas Day. And you had to wait till everybody was up, and we did it in some kind of an organized type of a fashion. Uh, I told my mom all the way back then, when I become a dad, my kids are opening all their presents on Christmas Eve, and it's a free-for-all. <laughs> How is it at our house? Awesome. It's a free-for-all. <laughs> we did it on Christmas Eve and totally changed it up for our kids. My mom would make sticky buns Christmas morning, and then we'd open the presents. It's a wonderful memory to think back, but it's coupled with two things. I've got part of it that was so dysfunctional, and then I've got part of it that was so normal and wonderful. And combining those things together probably is the story that most of us have, that at some level there's dysfunction and at some level there's just blessing. Yes or no? Right. We all have it. We're all sinners who need God's grace, and we all struggle with those things. So, Pastor, why are you even talking about this and teaching this? So, man, I want to take you to the place that regardless of what your past is, it doesn't have to be the defining, arcing uh, trajectory of where your future goes. You don't have to say, I'm stuck because, or I'm a victim because, or I can't move forward, or I can't change it. Here's the truth of the matter. The curse can stop with you. My children never experience those things. In a way, what you want to become is give away what you want because what you sow is what you reap. Even if you say, I didn't get it, it's no excuse for a believer because what you didn't get by pedigree, you do get through the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're not a victim and you're not stuck and you can change the trajectory of life. With my children, when I think about the memories, a pastor's Christmas looks so much different than what yours looks like. We work on Christmas and we work hard on Christmas. And so from literally Thanksgiving through New Year's, it is a busy, busy time for a pastor. So when we come to Christmas Eve, we're doing multiple services. So my children, they don't come and do multiple services. When they were real little, they loved to be with me, right? So they would come, Dad, we just want to be there. But when they got to be, you know, three, <laughs> they would be like, we want to go home. One service and then we want to go home. So they would wait for me and wait for me and wait for me. And, you know, I would also do for a long time, I'd do the 11 o'clock service that we'd have here. And they want to open them on Christmas Eve. And so I'd go home after the last evening service. We'd open presents. And then I'd take back off to go do the 11 o'clock service. So it was always a work time. And it was only in just the last few years as the staff grew and began to take on more of that responsibility that I would even have that. I don't have to come back to the 11 o'clock service. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. For my children, man, we tried to make Christmas something that was very special and very wonderful. I married Mrs. Claus. Some of you have heard me talk about that. She's a decorator. So now that we are primarily empty nesters, we read a book <laughs> last year that's called uh, something along the title of The Swedish Death Purge. And the idea simply is deal with your stuff so that your children don't have to. And the longer you wait, the harder it will be to get rid of your stuff. So deal with it now so your children don't have to. So our entire basement has become a storage for 36 years of marriage. And the longer you're married, I think there's an equal in the more stuff that you collect. 
And so we have all this stuff. We read this book, and we just decided, okay, we're going to begin to purge. We're going to simplify. We're going to get rid of it. So Chris, we had so much Christmas decorations. She started giving it away to the kids. She brought stuff to the office, just giving it away, not selling it, giving it away. Got rid of all. I was so proud of her. And then this week, she went and bought all new stuff. <laughs> so I walked into the house, and I'm like, what happened? And she said, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have a sickness. Pray for me in this. <laughs> so by the way, can I just say real quickly, if you love your wife and you pray this prayer, God bless her, bless her, bless her. What do you think the number one way that God wants to bless your wife is? Your neighbor? God forbid. Your children? Nope. Husbands, look at me real quick. If you love her and you're praying, God bless her, look at me. And don't shy away and don't get angry. You're the number one way that God wants to bless your spouse. And vice versa, if you have a husband that you love and you're praying that God would bless him, you're the number one way. So be a blessing. I was a butthead for many years. I kept her from enjoying. I'd give it to her, but with a fight so that I would take the joy from it. Am I saying anything to anybody? And one of the things to learn was to laugh about that when all the stuff was in the house, not fight about all the stuff that was in the house. Maybe you're just like, I wish you'd teach something from Acts today. <laughs> you might be the one that needs this more than anybody else. <laughs> Christmas Day is different for us too. Christmas Day, after working on Christmas Eve is a sleep-in day in a way, and then a big meal later in the day. So what Christmas has become with my children is this most wonderful thing. My favorite traditions now, real quickly, are watching my grandkids open presents and still be in that place where they think all of the fantasy of Christmas is true and real. So I'm being careful with my words right now because I know we've got different ages in here. So... But to watch them where it's all, they bring back the fun and that joy of it. I don't know what age it happens where you, you, you lose that, the imagination part of Christmas. But what a, what a great loss it is when your children are no longer at that age where it's mysterious and it's magical. And the grandkids have brought back this and then to open the presents and only play with the box, you know, that, that type of. But to watch my children now do what I did is the most satisfying of things. And what I mean by that is instead of my children repeating a pattern that was the dysfunction, to watch my children repeat the pattern that is so healthy with their spouses and with their children. I'm so proud of that. That's legacy to me. That's what I wanted to pass on. Decorating with my mom is my tradition. My mom lives in a small uh, basement apartment, so it doesn't take us very long to do it, maybe, maybe five or six hours. Um, but it's become the thing that her and I do together this time of year. And so she tries to recreate a scene from the Chronicles of Narnia, where the light post is at. And she wants it to look like snow and all of the thing. And I... I'm the least likely of persons to be able to do something like that. So I just do what she tells me to do, which seems to work pretty well in the, 
flow of decorating, but to just spend that time with her and to let her tell me about how Christmas was for her when she was a little girl. Something's happened in our relationship where I'm not just a son to a mom. In a way, I've become... A father, a figure, to where my mom can open her heart and pour it out to me now. How wonderful that is. And so why do you talk about that? Because if you're in the position to have any time with your mom, look at me real quick. You don't know how long that time's going to be. Take advantage of it while you can. And if you think there's too much dysfunction, I'm talking to you. Take advantage of it while you can. Fix things before it's too late. Say the things that you need to say before you cannot say them any longer. Let go of the stuff. Let go of the stuff that's become junk that you've carted around in your life. Because if you don't deal with it, it will be things that other people have to deal with after you're gone. Deal with it now. Still love me? Do it while you can still do it because there's just no guarantee on the time that you have. See them as a human and somebody worthy of your love and your grace. Embrace them while you can. One of the things that's come out of me decorating with my mom is that I never saw the places she grew up in Louisiana. My mom's family was so poor. They lived in places you've never heard of. Thibodeau, Raceland. <laughs> this spring, my brothers and I are going to go with her to Louisiana so that she can show us the places that she grew up, the high school that she went to, the houses that she lived in. And man, I'm cherishing that event coming in my life. In a way, it's like things have come full circle. So that, look at me real quick. I'm going to say it one more time. God doesn't erase the past, but he changes the future. Amen. And what you were not given because of a situation, he can restore in a way that you have no idea because all things are possible to him who believes. My favorite tradition is to watch my father-in-law read the Christmas story. When I married my wife and came into that family, their tradition was that Gary will open up Luke chapter 1 and read the Christmas story. And not in a way that's just reading ink and paper, but to tell the story of Jesus. And he did it with his kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids and now the great-great-grandkids. And it's a tradition we pass on. And again, we don't know how many more times we'll hear that story being read. I hope many, 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 but there's just no guarantee and we're coming to a place where it's not forever. So to cherish that, to film it every time, and to go back and listen to what he says, what motivates his heart about Jesus, and then to try to pass that on to mine. My favorite Christmas stories. If you ask me to tell mine, there's two. This one I've told a little bit about right before we got married. In 1982, there was a Christmas Eve blizzard, if you lived in Denver. It was a tremendous snowstorm, 30-some-odd inches. 
Uh, if you thought Tuesday was bad, it was nothing compared to what Denver was like in 82. Um, I was head over heels for her, just like this is the girl. And uh, I had gone to her house on Christmas Eve to eat dinner with her and her family. And it was snowing so hard that uh, I thought for sure they'll ask me to spend the night. <laughs> and Mr. Hilger said, uh, let's go home. <laughs> and so um, I jumped in my car to take off home. And my mom, uh, I had a Maverick, which was a death sled in snow. So I took my mom's car, which was a big LTD. I think I made it like 200 yards and got stuck in this huge snowdrift, maybe halfway intentionally. Walked back to their house and said, I, I can't get home. I have to stay. And he said, I'll take you. <laughs> so we got in his car, and he got stuck. So we went back, and um, his son came over with a Jeep and pulled him out, and he managed to get me home. <laughs> and the city shut down. Uh, James, you remember how bad that was? Remember that storm? That was a, man, that was a ferocious, up where your mom and dad lived. Um, right off of Jewel and uh, uh, Kipling right there. You remember? That's, that's pretty close to where I got stuck at right there. Um, and so uh, I, I, the city shut down. I'm stuck uh, at my house, and the woman that I want to be with is about five miles away. So when the snow finally let up, I decided to hike over to her house and, and walked over in 30-some-odd inches of snow to be with the woman that I loved and her father finally had mercy on me and said, you can stay for a little while, John, and be here. And when I think back on those times, man, I would pay any price to be with that woman, and I'll pay any price today to be with that woman. Next, next week, we celebrate our 36th anniversary. Amen. Yeah, and it's a... <laughs> what God gives back to us, the heritage of the servants of the Lord is so far beyond what you can calculate. You can't take ink and pen and write one plus one equals two. You have to write it this way. Me plus God is an unfathomable Amen. return. What God has done for me. My second favorite story to tell. Is it okay just to tell you a story? Yeah. My second favorite story to tell you uh, happened in the year 2000 when my children had not gone their own ways. The little guys were still very little. Amy was 16 years old. And it was her last family vacation um, because of the story that I'm about to tell you. Um, <clears throat> my father, biologically, uh, was absent from our life from the time I was three until I was in my 30s. And my brother Steve um, had a curiosity as to whether or not that door could ever open again. So my brother Steve made contact with my father, and it opened a door where he actually came out with his family to meet his sons and meet his grandchildren and, and their wives. And um, he invited us to come and meet that part of the family. So on Christmas Eve, after we got done with all the services, so at like midnight, I threw all my kids into a Suburban and we took off to Louisiana. And we got somewhere into New Mexico by Texas and an ice storm hit. And I had never been in an ice storm before. I just thought, throw it into four-wheel drive, we'll be fine. I'm from Colorado. I can drive through anything. And um, we ended up in a ditch and got pulled out of the ditch, and I made it to Wichita Falls, Texas. You ever been to Wichita Falls? If you've not, bless the Lord for his mercy and his goodness in your 
in your life. He's been very kind to you. And if you're just like, God's never done anything for me, you haven't been to Wichita Falls, Texas. He's protected you in a wonderful way. So we make it to Wichita Falls, Texas in the middle of an ice storm. We find a hotel uh, Christmas Day that, that was not, you know, the roads are shut down. Everything's just, it's at a standstill. And so all of my children, uh, the seven of us, spent Christmas Day, the year 2000, in a 400-square-foot hotel room. And our meal that day was spaghetti, and it was cold. And when we went out to, to get in the car, uh, an inch of ice had formed all the way around the car. And so I managed to chisel it out and get everybody in the car and take off to Louisiana. It was the first and last time that um, we went to Louisiana as a family. But what a memory to think back on my children and that time having together. I know it's silly. I know you think, who cares? We care. It's precious to us. Let me bring it to the last part of this where maybe this is the most spiritual part that I can throw to you and something that you could practice. If you, in moving forward, want to make it more special, you want to make it something that's memorable, you want to be able at some point to have conversations like this where you look back, and I was very real on what I just told you, but even in the realness of of what it was like, they're precious memories to us. And if you want those precious memories, let me give you three things that I think you could do around this time of year that would make it special. Number one, make the whole thing about Jesus. Don't make it about presents. Don't make it about trips. Don't make it about getting through it and just surviving. Don't make it uh, about... um, all of the terrible things that happened then and that you feel like you're going to repeat now. Don't make it about any of those things. Make it about Jesus. Tell your children in practical ways why God is good, why God is a blesser, and why we're celebrating this holiday. Somehow, the church has fallen into the culture at large too where everything has become about the economic boom that we get this time of year. I got it. I get that this last quarter is so important uh, for how things turn out the end of the year for so many businesses. And I know that the church uh, directly is affected by how things go in those businesses. I get it. I'm not denying that. I'm a realist. I understand. That still doesn't mean that it shouldn't be about Jesus. Tell the story. Pray with your family. Do the Advent when they roll their eyes. Have fun with it. Read Luke chapter 1. If you're like, I don't know what to say, read it and you'll be amazed that if you'll step into the moment, the Holy Spirit will use you powerfully. Create traditions. I'm not talking about the traditions of we have a ham or we have prime rib or we have turkey. That's not what I'm I'm talking about. Create traditions that are memorable in your family. So when our children were at home, one of the ways that we tried to overcome the, the idea that Christmas was just about the long list that they would hand you of stuff that they wanted. And we did those things too, and we had fun with those things. The year that they all wanted snowboards, it was our pleasure to find a way to get them snowboards. How they rejoiced over that. You remember that? How fun that was. Heck yeah. That's right. But one of the things that we did to make it memorable was we began to play a Christmas game called The Present That Money Can't Buy. And we would sit in a circle, and I would begin, 
And I would look at each of my children and I would say, here's the present that I would give to you that money can't buy. So that when Amy suffered back-to-back miscarriages, it gets real quiet now. It's a thing that we never talk about in church. The loss that a woman feels when that happens. The hurt and the anguish that's in her heart. And how those things are kept inside and no one's ever, rarely ever able to speak to it or to touch it. And to know that her heart was breaking. And to know the tears that she cried. And to look at her and say, Ames, the gift that I would give you that money can't buy is the birth of a healthy child. And to have her heart open to me and for us to be able to pray for her and talk to her and to allow healing to come in the situation. When does healing come into these places in our lives? We carry so much. That's what I'm saying. You can look out right now. And I wonder when I say that word, how many women right now? I see your tears as, I'm, as I'm, I see them right now. Yeah. And for some of you, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay? Put it in your back pocket because maybe you haven't lived long enough. For my son Brent, who's special needs, who watched all of his siblings get married and move on and have families, and he lives with us. And he's not so profoundly handicapped that he doesn't recognize and want something that he knows he cannot have. When they all drove and he couldn't drive. When they all had girlfriends and boyfriends. When they all went on dates. To look at him and say, son... The gift that I would give you that money can't buy. I would give you a family. I would give you respect. I would give you a place in life where people see you as whole. And have the tears come down his face. Do you hear what I'm saying? Those are the treasures. I fillet myself in front of you week by week in the hope that I'm saying something that will reach your heart so that the power of the gospel can come in. Your past is not the defining arc of your life. It's the future that God has for you. How do we get there? I'm trying to tell you right now. Go beyond yourself. Open your heart. Go to that place. Allow God in. Speak to the things that the devil wants you to keep quiet. We have our movies that we watch, our food that we like, the games that we play. I'm not a game player, but my family loves to play games. Over Thanksgiving, they played a three-hour game of Trivial Pursuit. (laughs) I faked like I had a headache. (laughs) Sorry. Here's the last one. Listen to me right now. Recognize that none of us know how much time we have. 
So the time that you do have, learn to redeem that time. Ephesians 5.16 has this incredible piece of advice from Paul to a group of believers who were dealing with a culture and society at large that was very wicked and very evil. And we tend to look at our day and age and think no one else has ever experienced what we're experiencing in life. And I would just say to you, as long as humanity has lived on this planet, there has been sin. From the time of the fall of Adam, there has been sin, and people have dealt with ugly things. So Ephesians 5.16, written 2,000 years ago, Paul says this to a group of people who, just like you, were trying to make it through life, trying to hold their families, or as an individual, go forward, love God, be a part of the world, and not let the world overcome, dealing with all of those things. And Paul gives them this piece of advice. Make the most of the time that you have, knowing that the days are evil. So he's just simply saying, look, don't overcome or be overcome evil with evil. Don't let this thing uh, become the defining arc factor of your life. Don't let the evil of your past become the evil of your tomorrow. Redeem the time. Buy it back. Take it back. Make the most of the moment that you have today. Make the call this afternoon. Say the words, I'm sorry, while you can still say them. Let go of the stuff that another person can't bring themselves to be able to say to you, I was wrong. Move on with a future that God has for you. Don't be mad at me right now. Don't push me back right now. Don't wish that I would shut up right now. You have a good pastor who cares for your soul right now. Crying out to you, man. Move forward in your life. Let go of those stories and write a new one. That's good. That is good, isn't it? The truth of the matter is this. That when I do go back and think about some of those difficult things from my past, listen to this. God has been so good to me that it's, I, I realize that I'm telling a story that I was in, but it's almost like it didn't happen to me, it happened to somebody else. Because when I talk about redeeming, I don't mean that we just like ignore. I mean that God's ability to heal our past makes it so that we're whole, so that when we talk about those things, they don't even hurt us anymore. We can use what was meant for evil to do good for God. How do you know when you're whole and healed? When you can use what was meant for evil to actually bash the devil in the head with it today. That's how I try to live my life. To take the two things, those sticks that he meant to beat me up with, Turn him into a cross so that he can't win. If I could give you a gift that money couldn't buy. If I could give you a gift that money couldn't buy. I would give you a reality that goes beyond our culture. I would give you health that goes beyond a report that a doctor gives you. I would give you wholeness in your life that maybe a father didn't give to you. I would give you mercy and I would give you grace. I would give you my love and my friendship. I would give you my heart. I'd give you my life. 
I'd stay in one place regardless of everything else and say I'm staying in one place to give myself to one group of people. I'd give the gift that money can't buy. I'd give you wholeness in your family. I'd give you a relationship with your children. I'd give you restoration in your marriage. I'd give you back your dreams. The things that life has kicked out of you, the thing that money can't buy, I'd give it back to you, TJ. I'd give it to you in a second. The weird thing is, just like you, I'm in the same boat. But I know the one who can do everything that I'm talking about right now. The power of our gospel is not that it changes your past. It alters your your future. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Father, you are so good and so wonderful and so right to us. And I'm so very thankful for you. And God, as we enter into this season, we don't want to come into this season, Father God, just enduring it, just surviving it. Just trying to handle the stress of it. God, we want to come into this season full of life. We want to be light and representation of your love and your goodness to people around who have mistaken what this time is supposed to be about. We want to offer hope to the hopeless Light in the darkness, a future for those who don't feel like they have one. Father, in the name of Jesus, all things are possible. Only believe. Only believe. God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for reaching out to us. Hey, from the most distant skeptic, who hears me right now and scoffs to the most excited, innocent, joyful soul who hangs on every word that I'm saying. What a dichotomy between those two places in life. But the common denominator is that God loves equally and speaks to your situation today, hope. May you not go through this season merely just trying to get through. Can't wait for January to get here. May you relish all that God wants to do in your life. May your heart be restored. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Please stand to your feet and Pastor Jay will dismiss us today. Thank you, Pastor Josh.